Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. We recorded this episode on December 18th, 2014. This is the last episode we're going to release before the new year. Um, We'll be back on a regular schedule. We're just not going to record on Christmas Day. So thank you to everyone for listening. It's been a great year. Happy holidays to you. Happy New Year. And here we go. Hey, gentlemen, happy birthday to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, true story. So in order to make our show more entertaining, I, I Googled uh, 30 creative ways to say happy birthday. I should say I Googled creative ways to say happy birthday. And I arrived at this article that I really need to highlight for a moment, which is just 30 creative ways to say happy birthday. Um, I'll give you this link, Matt, so you can put it in the show notes. Uh, this is a particularly, <laughs> particularly good article, I think. The numbered list of 30 starts at three. There are no numbers one and two, as far as I can tell. Um, they, <laughs> they include such things as uh, yet another creative way to wish happy birthdays to accompany it with a quote on birthdays. This could be inspirational, like not just a year older, but a year better, because that inspires you. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Good. Or congratulations on another year of skillful death evasion. That's a nice way of thinking about things. I didn't get hit by a bus this year. Yeah, there's a fun little stinger for someone at work. You can write a note saying happy birthday. All right, now get back to work. Boom! Oh, Stinger! That's an, that's an office joker. Hey guys, huh? happy birthday. Now get back to podcasting, you sons of bitches. <laughs> We're not paying you to sit there and be born. We're paying you to podcast. You don't get born every time on your birthday, just the first one. On a similarly sentimental note, you can even say, Happy birthday. I am glad you were born on this day. You really feel the sentiment dripping off of my words? We've come to the end of another year, a very rapid year, I would say. I, I look back, I, I know that you two both also went back and looked at all of our shows for this year, and it seems like I have a pretty solid recollection of most of them, and they don't feel like the early ones were a year ago. They feel more close than that. We've also done more shows in a year than any year previously. That, that is true. We did half our shows just last year, uh, despite so being around. It really for... shows the consistency before then. Yeah. We, we, only missed, we only missed four weeks last year, though, uh, which I think is pretty good. I wouldn't even consider that missing. I don't expect to put up the show every single week, so I think four weeks off is a good vacation. I'm surprised we missed any, to be honest. I thought we hit every single one, but it's possible we had holidays or vacations or something. But... On a uh, sentimental note, oh. I just want to say that uh, I'm glad you guys were born on this day and on a few days ago, respectively, so we can make this podcast together. 27 and 29 years later. I'm glad you were born whenever you were born, Andy. Yep. (laughs) I was also born. It's true. So I have a question for you all at this moment of reflection. Um, Yeah. Do you, where do you see the show going, right? Like we've, we've gone from talking about kind of recent news. I mean, the show we first started, it was entirely recent news and like, you know, kind of critical commentary on it, I think was the original idea. It was like, could we have a critical voice in design that's not just masturbatory or shallow? And I'm not sure we, we achieved that, but we did kind of become a different thing, which is talking about like one topic every week usually. It used to be three or four topics where they're very sort of clearly separated. So the show has come through these steps, right? We've gone from news podcast essentially with a critical bend uh, to kind of conversational talking head show about design as it pertains to most things most people wouldn't consider design necessarily. And we spent the last couple episodes talking primarily about, I don't know, like social issues and bullying online and the treatment of women and the social issues in this country. And where do you see this going? I hope we're going to keep talking about either how everything is changing and we don't know how to deal with it or things aren't changing. How do we make them change faster? You know what it feels like? It feels like ironing out those kind of insecurities about how, how do you really feel about this? Talking through something in finding out what you really feel about it. Maybe maybe it's useful for other people, but it sure is useful for me to realize that I'm worried about something or questioning something, or maybe I never, maybe this thing wasn't so great all along. I never even really thought about it that much. I feel like more lately, we've been discussing things that are actually a little bit more important to us as individuals. And then we actually start talking about things as like me personally. It's nice to not be coming from... I don't know. I feel like I came out of out of college is like, well, I got this all figured out. There's all yeah. these there's all these rules. I've learned all the rules and now I'm done with that. So I'll just go apply the rules and then I'll just spout out the things that I heard to other people. I yeah. thought they were my opinions. Turns yeah. out 
they were they were somebody else's ideas. So it feels pretty good to start not solidifying our ideas, but talking through our ideas and changing our minds a lot. Are we, I dare say, unique in that aspect? Because I feel like the other podcasts I listen to, I mean, the other podcasts I listen to, I feel like are tend to be people that do have it figured out to some degree, and that's why people care what they say. I mean, I I feel like the show we've gotten in a lot of ways, I wouldn't say less confident, but maybe more thoughtful about the ways in which we don't have things figured out, which is a good trend in, I think, my life. I would like to become more thoughtful about the ways in which I am not fully knowledgeable about something. But is that like a trend? Like, what is the limit of that for the show? Like, we, we've gone from trying to be like an objective voice of critical stuff in design to kind of talking about design to I guess more talking about like our personal effects and recognizing our biases and that kind of stuff more uh clearly what is the limit of that like at some point do we just go well why are we even recording the show and we have nothing that we feel confident on we don't believe in anything that we can sort of put out there concretely i think we're learning every week i don't think we're going i don't know anything and then we turn off the mics i think talking through something helps you kind of figure out how you actually feel about it it's, it's kind of an interesting trend, I think, for the show to take. I, I wonder where this is going to go, because I feel like we're definitely... The show is changing, for sure. Uh, I'm just not sure. I, I, I almost want to cater the idea that it's going to eventually evolve into something like we've gotten more personal about the how we tackle topics. And I know for myself, and I don't know about you guys, but definitely in the past year, through our discussions and also through work in general, like I've questioned, like, what do I want to do in design in the future? Do I even want to do design in the future? What does it even mean to do that? And like even questioning some of the broader topics of like how I would, would tackle this or solve this as a professional has changed dramatically. I don't know. Like I feel like there's a point in my life where my, my, the most exciting thing was to get like the most eyeballs possible on my thing. Mm. and it's changing to be like, well, that's not what I, maybe that's not what I felt. Maybe I was trying to get the most, like, thoughtful influence, not, like, just the most eyeballs on any given thing. Um, things that somehow matter to other people are becoming more important than just, like, sheer numbers of people looking at it. Although, let's be honest, that, that trustworthiness of Beards poster got a lot of views. Sure, and then I did that in college, and that's, that was very exciting. And now I'm glad people laugh at it, and I, and I hope maybe sometime in the future I'll do another thing that gets maybe a lot of people paying attention to it, but for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, for me, the thing that keeps me continuing to do this show is the people who like email us or tweeted us and say that something that we said stuck with them or they were in a similar place or it helped them if we are so fortunate to be able to help people. Um, that means a lot because it kind of solidifies the whole point of why we're doing this is we're having these conversations. I think are sometimes like they're not sexy conversations. They're not things that you're going to market or put into a listicle. Uh, they're kind of like weird kind of conflicted conversations with like a lot of things to balance and keep in the air at the same time uh they're not like discrete uh digestible chunks um so it's always nice to have some value in that and i feel like more than i expected we've started to build like a little weird community around the show um you know i feel like we've met uh like gatamba and and ben kowalski and some of the people that listen regularly and have become vocal and i see them as like peers right like yeah i see them as like part of our group they seem to be on a similar path as us yeah some... and and like if they were the ones that had the mics and made the podcast, it would be probably pretty similar. Uh, I just feel like we happen to have microphones and have decided to do it. And in doing so, we're finding other people that otherwise we wouldn't have found, which is also really valuable. And I guess not something I really anticipated. Nope. I, didn't, I didn't anticipate the community aspect of it, but I feel that much now. Actually, you know, you know I was thinking about this the other day, and uh, I don't know I didn't th say this earlier. It's nice to to have these ideas as conversations as opposed to just like – a thing on medium that seems so final and like you've made a statement. Yeah. I very much like the format of having conversation, having people disagree with you. Like, I feel like a lot of, I don't like that format. Andy hates it. Andy hates being <laughs> wrong. I hate being wrong too, Andy. I understand. I, I was just being contrary. Cause you said that. I feel like a lot of what the internet 
like a lot of the medium of the internet and medium.com too is like just shouting in one direction and then somebody else just has to shout back in a different direction mm-hmm. and nothing really gets accomplished. Like not that I think we're in a constant argument or that we're like always disagreeing with each other, but we, have, there are two people to keep us in, to keep everybody else in check. When you say a crazy thing, you go off the rails or you say something that strikes a chord and may be important. I don't know. I hope we just keep each other humble for a long time because that's been maybe the most important thing about the show is making me realize sometimes I don't know what's going on and I can simultaneously be less afraid about the decisions that I'm making while I'm learning that I'm not always making I'm not always making the decision that's going to be the best forever. I, <laughs> God damn it. It's really hard to say that it's you might be making a decision that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> Matt woke up like this. He woke up like this. But do you know what I mean? Like, doesn't yeah. I have no desire to run a blog anymore? There was a period of time yeah. where I wanted to write a blog all the time and be like, "Here's my opinion on this thing. You guys should respect my opinion." And it's like, no, I'm I'm I know enough to know that I don't know. Isn't that a Socrates quote? <laughs> I totally get it though, because like I never have wanted to go into a thing like I am a thought leader about this thing. Therefore, I'm going to lead some thoughts on, on this blog or a Tumblr or something. Like, I, that's why I love doing this show with you guys is because everything it always – like, it always ends in a question mark. I think that's what I love about it. Um, and we seem to attract the people that find that important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it's really big, too, because a lot of folks that I've seen, especially in the past year since we've gone broader with topics, um, will say, like, yeah, I don't know at the end of the episode and they were like, you know, I'm glad that you guys talked about it because I like, if you guys didn't talk about it, I would not have thought about it. And that's really important too. Uh, so we might not have like, okay, this is the final answer, but at least more people are thinking about broader topics uh, on their free time outside of, you know, their work life. Matt, I, I do. I hear what you're saying about the not wanting to run a blog anymore. Yeah. Um, and there certainly is an aspect of what you're describing, right? This, I want to be respected and recognized and be able to point to my archive of and even if it's not intended, cool even if you just like write the blog and that's just the way it comes off because it is a one like comments aside. Actually, people don't do comments anymore. If it's just a blog and you write a thing, it, it comes across as one sided, whether you meant it to be or not. Right. Even as much prefacing as people do. That's just the way it reads. And it's and the prefacing is all just eh. posturing anyway. Right. Like it's. Everything that follows is just my opinion from my particular bias and position, and I can't possibly speak to this and blah, 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 caveat, disclaimer, blah. Um, that, that should be obvious, I think, on anything anybody writes. But uh, is there no way to kind of get the thoughtfulness we strive for on this podcast, whether we reach it or not, in some written format? I, 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 will, I have felt the urge to bring back my blog to some degree, mm-hmm. mostly because I feel like I have these thoughts that come in these waves where it's something I'm thinking about intensely for a week or a week and a half, and then I lose interest in it. And then I have a hard time even remembering what the list of things I was thinking about were. Um, I kept a journal for a while, but that was hard to do and hard to remember to do. So I've been kind of toying with the idea of trying to figure out how I can put something in writing such that it doesn't feel like it is set in stone and me trying to come down from on high and tell people what's right and what's wrong without all of this ridiculous posturing that we just described. So is, is there no way to do that, you think? I don't know. It's not that I'm saying, you know, I don't think the medium of writing is important. That would be a stupid thing to say. Like, I, I well, think no, I mean, it's, obviously... I, we can agree it's important when you have figured something out and you'd like to communicate yeah. that to people. Like, that's kind of what it's for, right? But I'm, I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that, like, people who proclaim to know things deeply, like, you, there are certain things you can't be an expert at. Well, then what are we bothering with trying for? Wait, what are we bothering trying for? Yeah, if we, if we can't ever be an expert at it, why are we even trying? I think we're trying to help the world in some way. Like, I think that's where we're going. We're trying to... I think you can help the world without being an expert at it. I think you're just trying to ask enough questions that you're taking a shot in the right direction, seemingly. Like, I, I think that is important. So you don't think you personally are improving, becoming more critical, more thoughtful, more intelligent, however you want to name I do. this trait? I do, I do, I do. But every time, every time I learn a little bit more about it, I realize, like, well, here's all the things I don't know, and here's all the things I need to be thinking about more that I hadn't been, like, I was just too dumb to consider those previously. So 
you learn more about it and you think, well, here are the things I wasn't thoughtful about. Here are the things I wasn't even considering. So I'm going to continue to do those things because I'm never going to know what I don't know. And then I'll find out and then I'll have to reassess and do it better. I understand those things. The Dreyfus model of skill acquisition. It just seems insane that you'll ever get there, wherever there is. Well, I, so I, to I'm me, just, expert I'm just talking about for me, like I don't, yeah. I don't really want to do the blog thing anymore and just like write my opinion. I'd rather talk it out and let other humans react to it. It seems healthier. Yeah, I, I, I have that feeling too. But I also have like the conflicting feeling, right? Which is that I feel like I came who I am today largely because of all the other people that had the courage to write down what they were thinking and put it somewhere on a blog. And even if I look back at those posts now, I can say, oh, this is not entirely correct, or this person was arrogant or whatever. That doesn't mean it didn't help me in some way. Um, so I, I, I sort of vacillate between thinking that it's arrogant and narcissistic to want to have a blog with your name at the top that you point people to that is your collection of writings and yeah. the idea that it's kind of selfish to write things down and not share them because who knows who you could help right? it's true it's um, very true you know i did keep a journal for a long time and if someone out there is going to benefit from my dumb journal entry like who am i to say why why shouldn't they um so i don't i don't know where i come down on that i don't know i don't know where to end up on like becoming more wary of people who claim to know anything thoroughly and no doubt there are people i've met in my life who i'm like i respect greatly and i think they're geniuses and I can't ima- imagine ever getting to that level. Like that, that all does still exist. But you do realize there are people that look at you probably already and think that that, that that's there. It's all relative, right? Like, sure, absolutely. And it's relative in a sense that it's not a a linear climb. Because if there was a linear climb, then there would be a bottom and there would be a top. I think it's like circular, right? Where if you're at a base level of like thoughtfulness uh it's a matter of like kind of going in circles and of who you're inspired by what you're thinking about what you care about uh and you know if i was really inspired by graphic designers and editorial illustrators and you know those kind of things when i was in school it's not to say that i've evolved and i'm above them now it's just to say that i've become disinterested in that and more interested in writing about architecture and writing about these other things that are very similar and similar ideas but in no sort of where they ranked and i think that being really ingrained in something is is valuable. And I don't think there has to be this like implied, uh, I guess, hierarchy of you can't bother writing about something until you've reached this tier. Um, Because if it really is a conversation, right, Matt, then why shouldn't we all just be sharing everything? And it's kind of funny because this show is definitely kind of a safe haven for that because we've established it as that context. And I think kind of what you're describing is the danger of just writing a blog post somewhere, especially on a place like Medium or just, you know, shooting a tweet out is that it, we don't have that safe context. We don't have the, right. this is a show where we talk about things and we kind of, you know, can be, it's a safe place to be wrong. Um, and I, I just wonder if the whole world should be a safer place to be wrong than it already is. If I do, actually, be. that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Like, I think... There need like the world's so goddamn blustery. Like we need a place where people can safely experiment a little bit more and not feel like they're destroying their public image or they're claiming to be the end all be all of something just by writing it down because they feel like they learned something today. Uh, I like I don't really know what I'm reacting to specifically, but it's something that I kind of read into everything <laughs> that is posted on whatever resource it might be designer resource or just like critical essays as, as the sources get more and more diluted as I'm like, well, I don't know who this is. I don't know who this is. It's just some random guy with no context. Uh, I don't know who to trust anymore. And so I'm much more skeptical of everybody's take on the world. So did you by any chance, either of you listen to the episode of you made it weird with Pete Holmes and Patton Oswalt? I did actually. Yeah. Yeah, so in the episode, for those of you who haven't listened out there, he talks a lot about how like the internet has changed the landscape of comedy and not for the better because everything is recorded and widely disseminated and there's no longer, if you're a comedian of even a little bit of notoriety, a place where you can go and try jokes and push the limits and see how far is too far that it offends yeah. people. And, and Chris Rock actually talks about the same thing too a lot recently. Like I've listened yeah, to, uh, he talked about it in a bullseye interview. We talked about it with Bill Simmons on his podcast today. Like a lot of comedians, a lot of well-known comedians are talking about this because those playgrounds are gone because everybody just thinks everything is ready for prime time all the time. 
And for what that is to comedians, right, the idea of being able to <clears throat> like try out material and th- their goal is ultimately to you know, make people laugh in a very shallow level. And I think on a higher level, oftentimes to kind of reflect society and reflect something about ourselves that we might be a little bit uncomfortable with. And our, our deal, our way of coping with that is the laughter. But what's really important is not the, the laughter. What's really important is that exposure to the thing that makes us uncomfortable. Um, you know, that being the job description of a comedian, it, would our job description somewhere, do we need a, a place where we can have the equivalent, right? Where we can say ideas that are sound dumb where we can say hey maybe ethics is integral to design on a fundamental level and people won't just come flying off the handle on twitter and yell at us about it is, is that the kind of equivalent we're drawing here we finally got to a conversation i'm happy about this <laughs> i can hear your smile even though you turned off the <laughs> the video you know so i turn off my camera because my internet connection is so bad when i turn it uh-huh. off it crackles and and ruins everything but yeah i should i should figure that out so you can see that i'm happy about this i um, start the same photograph of you every week for an hour and a half it's so funny so I, in my brain, I compare comedy and design all the time. I just think they're, they're yeah, so, too. so similar. Like I think like having an idea and like hearing a joke are the same feeling to me. I love that idea. I think there's so much room for like somehow like designing in public with real consequences in the way that like a comedian can get up on stage and like try a joke and be booed and learn that it was bad or be cheered and learn that it was funny. Um, but without the like committing it to tape and whatever the, whatever the equivalent of that in our world is putting it on medium, putting your idea on medium is committing. That's putting it on tape. That's putting out, that's in the putting world out saying, an album. Hey, I'm Matt McInerney and I believe this. And what we need is the format or the community or whatever it is to say, here's a thing I want to try. I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to put it out there. And, like, I want to get, like, what's a healthy way for everybody to boo you and learn that you did a bad thing without it being, like, committed to your public record, whatever you want to call it. Um, Not that I think, like, there's huge consequences. Like, I'm sure, Andy, you can go and start a blog and not, like, never be hired again. But the idea that, like, Pat Oswald was talking about and that... You can go like he has if he goes up on stage and somebody films him and puts it on the Internet, he could say something and then he has to go like make public apologies. I don't think it's a matter of becoming branded necessarily as like the person that did this as much as it is of people holding up everything and on a level playing field as, uh, you know, if you, you know, were trying out new material and maybe improving a little bit on a comedy stage thinking you sat down and wrote that joke and decided to say those things. And that's what you believe. Um, and th- that is kind of the danger. And I think if you're someone like Pat Oswalt, people are waiting for you to screw up because you're a celebrity, right? Like you're a, you're a big name. Everyone wants you to be, have some dramatic thing happen to you. Um, but I think a, a way that kind of applies to perhaps people that don't have that kind of fame is, you know, you can be a very small time comedian. And I know something that some of the comedians have talked about is like accidentally using someone else's material because you didn't realize it. And you do realize it later on. You're like, okay, that one's not going to make the album because I realized I was accidentally using someone else's joke, essentially. Um, but you had that recording of it, and now everyone thinks that you're this kind of person that's stolen this thing. When in actuality, I think that's kind of just part of the creative process. I mean, who of us has not like directly ripped off a graphic design thing at some point and called it an homage and said and, you know, that was part of like being, being a designer, I think. Um, I mean, I had an experience very, very similar to this, actually. When I was in school... My junior year, maybe end of my sophomore year, uh, the Objectified video movie came out, and there was a screening at MICA, uh, and I was asked to make a poster for the screening, and I basically pretty much just remade the exact official movie poster. <laughs> uh, You're not going to laugh. I did the like, exact, literally, literally the exact same thing. I wish I could find it. Well, so I, I was proud of it because I, I thought I had this brilliant idea, which is that I, I tracked all of the objects I touched uh, throughout the day. Uh, like I woke up one day, chose a date and just took a notebook around and every single thing I touched, I wrote down and then I went back and drew all those things and put them in order uh, on this big grid of the poster um, and thought it was this brilliant, unique idea. And of course I had seen the poster that Bill did for it and I knew what it looked like and mine looked exactly the similar, but in my dumb little graphic design student head, I was like, oh, I'm making my own unique idea. I'm a cool guy paying homage to the original uh, cover and making my own unique sort of imprint on it. And (laughs) also this is back when I was... This is so so embarrassing, but I'll say it for the benefit of anybody listening. This is also back in the days where, like, I put at the bottom of my posters, like, real small, poster by Andy Mangold, because I thought oh, it, would be, it would be, I know, I know, it's embarrassing, because I thought it would be on the <laughs> wall, and someone would see it and think it was cool and look up my name, because this is what, that's the kind of shit we thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm, I'm saying we to bring you down with me, gentlemen. <laughs> um, hey, I just sent you my version of it, too. You can click yeah. on that and be like, well, Matt did the same exact thing. Let me see. Yes, he did. At least mine doesn't oh, say see, mine is Mine is so much worse. Let me see. I, I, I can find it real quick. Um, the reason I can find it, and I'll continue the story, is because at the time, I had a blog uh, that I was posting all of my design work to. Um, this was after I had my Monopoly board featured on uh, Daring Fireball, and I had, like, people visited my blog pretty regularly. I, I was more publicly visible than I should have been as a dumb kid, uh, is what I will say about that. Um, and let me see here. Um, and, like, within 24 hours of putting it on my, on my blog, like, the guy from Build, like, emailed me and was like, what's up, man? <laughs> That's our poster. Really? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he was extremely nice about it. Um, he was extremely nice about it and was just like, hey, this is, uh, you know, probably not quite, not quite right. Uh, and thank God that he was nice about it because I would have been horrified if he had, like, publicly shamed me or something for essentially stealing the poster. I'll put their official poster in there after this and you can see how dramatically similar they are. Um, you can put this in show notes too if you want. Um, but like that's a perfect example of I. Luckily, <laughs> this guy was super nice about it and didn't just call me a big idea stealing shithead. Uh, even though it's kind of what I was doing, but I didn't know I was an idiot kid. Um, and of course, I know now, and I have a better sense for when I'm being far too heavily inspired by something. But um, that's the same thing, right? Yeah. So what is it like? There, there's the obvious criticism that you put anything on the internet, you did this to yourself, right? But there's also, like, the internet is a great tool for sharing and finding new people that you can learn from. And, well, I didn't, wouldn't have met you guys if it weren't for the internet. Well, Dan, I would have met you without the internet. But you probably had a Dig t-shirt on that I thought was cool because I like the internet, too. Yeah, frankly, we probably would not have met each other if we had not put our work out there and I was not familiar with Railway and you hadn't seen some dumb shit I did. And, you know, th- that's how we became people in this community was putting ourselves out there. You can't, like, right. break in and be like, I'm a designer. Let me join your community and not have anything i think it's you think you need that level of not like validation but it's just part of participating right part of the empathy is being able to see someone else's work and i don't know connect with it and so you gotta i guess you kind of have to have that public playground with context and uh i actually like i feel like people might say that's what dribble is but i'm i (laughs) think dribble is a little But I think actually dribble perpetuates the problem because it's like no, it is the exact opposite. It, it, it was probably it was the begin that was the idea of it. I remember Dan Cederholm posting the idea of it, and I I followed Dan Cederholm's blog all the time. I thought he was great. I read all his books. I, well, I still think he's great. I, I, that hasn't changed. <laughs> now I hate Dan Cederholm and fuck that guy. But the what the site became like I don't think you can I don't think you can control your community to the degree of like preventing it from becoming like whatever the medium seems to want to be oh i don't know about but that much it it started rewarding finished work it started rewarding more finished work and very shallow critiques yeah, but well actually do you think they could have steered that in a different direction do you think they could have stopped that from funny happening, you ask given what they created did you know i wrote a blog post about the topic i'm sure you did andy I'm i did. Sure I'll, did i'll send you a link right now on my website where the css style she has been broken for going on 14 months now uh and i've never bothered to fix it uh is it worth talking about what you think they could have changed? Well, so what? I, I, here's what I think happened to Dribble. Uh, you're right. When Dribble started, that was the promise. It was like, we're going to make things small so they can't be polished. We're going to show little snippets of what we're working on to kind of build this community and talk about process. And the idea was, was frankly, very interesting. Um, I think what it very quickly became is it very quickly became obvious to everyone, people that make Dribble, people that use Dribble, that that idea they described is, was not going to be as popular as a place where a bunch of designers can talk about how cool all the designers are and share their work that's polished and looks great. Um, and there are things that they could have done actively. I outlined them in that blog post, specifically like actually like getting rid of their stupid binary, this is good, this is not good, because if you're just sharing process, why do you even have that level of validation? Like why can you score things and like compete on some quantified level? Um, and if they really wanted to encourage conversation, they could actually make the comment system useful and make the comment box bigger and not so far away from the actual image itself. Um, the website is very clearly designed to optimize for the behavior that I think everyone realized was going to be the most popular, allow the site to grow as big as possible, because not that many people want to do the thing we're talking about, right? This is a, this is a small chunk of the population. There's a lot of people that just want to make pretty stuff, and it's not to say that's bad, um, but it's just, I don't like being conflated with that because that's not at all what I want to do. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree at all. I just don't. I remember when that was being launched and I just don't know if those guys or if any, but like the, it was not the beginning of the internet, but it was like 
so early in the design community of the internet trying to make design things. It, was that true, or is that just the early beginning of the design internet for us because we're young? I don't know. Like there, because when even when I was young, there were many different people with many different blogs that were on like different platforms. People hadn't built platforms to bring everyone together yet. Uh, it was new and people were learning, and it wasn't so obvious. But I, I think your I think your points are totally valid. Yeah. I feel like it's it was the beginning of a generation of designers online that we all kind of came into it at the same yeah. time and said, okay, there's the dribble thing, there's the, some of these other things, and that's just that's the way it is. The designers that created it weren't designers that started out working by posting things on the internet. We're going to be one of the first that like grew up while we posted everything we have ever done publicly. Mm-hmm. It's. I just think that I think that changes your perspective on things, and I think that's maybe why your points are valid because you're used to that world. But like, first you have to build the world before you can critique it, right? Yeah. That that poster that uh, that object the objectified poster mm-hmm. uh, it hung in the walls of Micah leading up to the show because I was to the showing of the film because that was the whole point of it and. Uh, you know, like I said, the bottom said, like, designed by Andy Mangold or something. And someone came up with a red pen and crossed out designed and wrote stolen on it. <laughs> oh, burn, Andy. Which, which really hurt at the time, but it's something I needed, right? Like, I needed someone to say that to me. Yeah, so, probably. Probably. Thank you, whoever you are. To this day, that poster still hangs, uh, like, framed in, like, the poster gallery at Micah as, like, student work. And I actually, it was actually in the classroom that I taught in this semester. So I had to stare at it every single fucking week. Oh, no. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So I get well. I guess the uh, the obvious question is like, did we just make it here? Did we make the little safe haven here? I, I and, think like, we does did. It even matter if we're. I, I think we did. It's interesting to think about how the things that probably allowed this show to be what it is on this medium are not the things that make podcasting great. In that, it's not about. Um, you know, beautiful audio production where we're like, you know, making this kind of art piece. Um, it's not about the idea of, uh, you know, releasing a show that a million people download. It's not, it's not an idea of like broad distribution that's appealing about it. Um, what really makes a show work maybe is the fact that podcasts are a really like dense, obtuse medium. Like you have to like podcasts and be willing to listen to something for an hour. And so this is our little safe place to say dumb things because the only people that are going to hear them are people that are listening to us talk for an hour and they've already committed to a certain degree of like baseline respect for us at least that they're not going to, you know, chew it to pieces. I think if you were to like summarize and write blog posts for all of our podcast episodes, we would get a shit ton of bullshit on on the internet for it. Um, And maybe that's why this works because it's this kind of slow, safe, uh, clunky medium. I do like that about the medium. I do always wonder if that's something you could transfer to the web and like allow someone to enjoy in the same kind of slow way but it's just so counterintuitive there, there are some people that have tried like i know frank shimero for a while uh had his tweet set up to automatically delete after like three days uh which was his attempt to be like if i see something on twitter it's not permanent get over it it's just a conversation that's ever going and you can't reference things forever um i don't know how that experiment went for him but that's kind of an attempt at the same thing in some ways um but you're right like it's hard to do like, I guess forums are kind of what we're describing, right? Like a, a conversation and then a community where there is a level of level of friction to getting in where you have to care enough to make your account and figure out how the system works. Um, but there's not really a good design forum that I'm aware of. Uh, maybe it, maybe it's out there, but... There is. There were. There, there used to be things like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, that, like that's that, the design that community. They all shut down. Like, why? actually, why did that die? Why did that all die? That's a really good question, actually. There's just too many designers that can ruin something on the internet. Because a lot of the forums that a lot of the forums that have existed for so long survive in spite of all of the various startups and websites that are trying to steal those people. Um, So, like, I I like to dig deep into forums. It's one of my things because that's the best place to do research on any single topic. Because that's one of the only places where people that are like truly knowledgeable about something it has nothing to do with technology or the internet or media and culture will divulge that knowledge is if someone like asks them on a forum and they're a member of it um, otherwise there's no reason you would find out about construction of homes anywhere because why would you publish that online but a lot of these forums like are still thriving i mean there's, there's a, a wristwatch forum i know it's like th- crazy thriving despite the fact that it looks like it's from 1996 and the people are still using it all the time and some, but some forums did die out, and I wonder why that is. Because if it was working and there was thoughtful conversation, why, why not anymore? 
I actually I do think subreddits can be that. I've I've found subreddits that are thoughtful if they're kind of well moderated and small enough. Like I think the problem with Reddit is that most people don't sign up for it and they just see what's on the homepage and they assume that's Reddit. It's like, well, it is whatever you can make it. And uh, I'd love if we could like I feel like there are a couple people on our subreddit that contribute, but not to the degree of like it's a ongoing conversation about whatever is on someone's mind. But man, I would like that to exist more in the world. Because I love talking to you guys, but the the only problem with like saying, "Well, we figured it out with this medium," is that we can't extend it. It it will only be us talking. Nobody else gets to kind of talk unless we invite them in. I mean, they can start their own podcast too. That's the beauty. That's what Mitch and uh, and Joshua did. That's true. I would love to figure out a way to make the internet a little bit more of a playground. Uh, it's dangerously close to saying failing in public, which makes me want to vomit. But Why does it make you want to vomit? Just because other people have said that before? I feel like it's a thing people say all the time without even thinking about it. Why do you have to be so goddamn unique? You're such a special snowflake, aren't you, Matt? You act like you're not. <laughs> you, you vomit when you uh-huh. say so many yeah. things. Well, yeah, I, I do. But I also, I don't know, I think failing in public is actually a, a good thing to do. But I do like the idea, like, I do like the idea of failing in public. Uh, I just don't, what I'm saying is I don't like the mantra of failure, which like I think seems goes a little unchecked sometimes. Yeah. In that it is like the mantra of whoever, like I, I think it comes from a, a decent place and then people pick up the torch and run with it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It wasn't the goal, guys. Put that torch like down. Yeah. An idea that was put out in the world. But I do think, I I love the analogy of comics trying out material in front of a crowd. Like I think there is absolutely a place for for that for designers or there needs to be more of a place for that for designers because you just can't do it in other situations you can't necessarily always do it in your working life um maybe you're gonna fail inevitably and that's something you can't control but like i don't really like the idea of saying well i know i'm gonna fail at this thing i'm being paid money for um i'd rather build playgrounds where you try new things and you're going outside your comfort zone in places that are meant to be playgrounds, and then you commit. Yeah, because when it's meant to be a playground, it's not failure. It's what's expected, which that's really the problem, right? Like, I'm all about people talking about the things they tried that didn't work, but why it has to be this fetishization of, I did a thing and didn't make a bunch of money from it. Whoa, and he's talking about it, and he's not ashamed. Wow. That's just most things, right? That's like almost all the things you will do, you will essentially fail. Mm -hmm. I've also been thinking a lot about how failure is just a matter of time. Uh, like the Roman Empire, total failure. They failed. Uh, like everything fails after a certain right. amount of time. So it's like everything is, if you have even the brief moments in a project where you feel excited about it and you think you did something great, like why is that not a success then? Why is it all about the failure that will eventually happen? That's true. I guess we also pretty much build things to be inevitable failures. Like, it's impossible not to. You can't build something to constantly grow without knowing that, of course, it's going to crash. I guess you could try to build something to be consistent and maybe you'll get it going for a long time. But I don't think you can build something with the intention that it should always be growing without some spectacular failure at the I end. I mean, shit, like humanity is on track to be a huge failure. Like our entire species is pretty much on that, on that pretty clear path. That's true. So I don't know how any one of us expects to independently go do something that's not going to fail, if that's how you're going to measure failure. Does that make us all feel better about ourselves, that we're all going to die pretty soon? So, Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're all going to die pretty soon. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe that's... What happens first? We die or all of humanity, Andy? Well, I don't know. Slip a coin. <laughs> uh, no, but that's in so many ways what designers have always tried to not be, which I think is an admirable thing. But like designers are always like, I'm going to make this thing and it's going to outlive me and it's going to outlive everything. And after we've turned our planet into a boiling thing and all the icebergs have melted and there's floods and superstorms everywhere, at least when they come and dig up, when the aliens come and dig up the, the ruins, they'll see my beautifully designed chair and they will know that I made a timeless, beautiful chair. Um, I feel like that's what so many people strive to do is like make that mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't decide if it's stupid and arrogant and uh, like thoughtless to do that or if it's a really encouraging optimistic view right to even try to shoot for that is beautiful and the one in bazillion people that will actually do something like that like that's great right or is it just arrogant and stupid no i think you have to i mean depending on whatever you know what what the thing that you're making there are a lot of things or if you have lasting effects you're doing a terrible job but assuming that's the goal 
I don't know. I still find that pretty admirable and cool. Like I still, I still really like going to the MoMA and like seeing the teapot that lasted for this long. That's pretty great and exciting to me. Hey Dan, there's a Jeep in the corner. There's a Jeep in the corner of the MoMA. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> telling me, and there's video games um, in there too. I want to go. I was in. I, I went to the MoMA this Wait, weekend. Wait, there's seriously a Jeep with video games in the corner of the MoMA? There's a Jeep in one corner, and then there's all around it video games. It just happens to be there's like. Is this a Dan trap? There was no. There's so funny. I was in MoMA this weekend, and one part is like an exhibition about the history of design for objects that make sound one part is i didn't even really know what the theme was it's just there was like a wall that had minecraft playing and then there was like street fighter and then on the other corner was their parts of their design and violence exhibition and the jeep was part of that and that like bamboo landmine rolly thing that like sets off landmines Mm -hmm. and Uh, can be rebuilt was in the corner i did just and there was one little kid like who ran through and clearly his parents brought him there and he was like, this is boring, and I don't want to be a part of this. This sucks. And then he got into the room with a giant Minecraft wall, and he's like, what? What? There's video games in museums? And he, like, ran around all excited, and he saw, like, Street Fighter. And then he saw, I don't even know what else, some other video game he recognized. And he was so excited that the museum wasn't a boring place. Uh, he was so set up to be bummed out, and he was not. That child was me. It was a little Dan. In the middle of all of this, was there a wooden crate held up by a stick with a single chocodile under it? (laughs) (laughs) How to catch a wild Dan. First, you got to weaken him, because if he's too strong, he'll break right out of that Pokeball. You got to weaken him a little bit, get him right down to his last little bar of health, then you try and get him. (laughs) All right, I'm done. Oh, I, all I was trying to say is I still like going to the moment and see the objects that survive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of objects in there that are, like, not very good at what they do, but they had some sort of cultural effect, mm-hmm. and that's still interesting to look at. Um, like, my like my favorite, uh, like, in the type collection is that uh, Vim Kral's new alphabet. Like, that didn't do anything. That didn't go anywhere. That idea didn't survive. That didn't really work. But actually, the, like, the general idea of it, though is, like, basically what a hashtag is and the idea that, like, you would design, you're going to design language for machines instead of designing language for humans and then, like, trying to get the machines to work with them. He was trying to design language for machines. He did a real shit job at it. That's not how you do that. What are you you talking about? Like, that I think his alphabet is so dumb. It's stupid. I love the idea of, like, okay, so instead of we're going to just kind of keep doing what we're doing and then machines will come into it. Let's just kind of rethink it for machines. That comes up all the time. That's exactly what a hashtag is. Am I missing is. something about the, the new alphabet? Because my understanding of it is he was like, I'm going to push minimalism to the limits. What are the fewest lines I can use to make these letters still recognizable? And then that's my cool alphabet. What did it have to do with like machines? and? You're missing the point where it can be reproduced on a screen because it can, like the screens at the time were doing such a bad job rendering type that he wanted to design a typeface that could be built in 90 degree and 45 degree angles so that the really, really low resolution screens could display language more efficiently. And so the idea was that people were going to learn to read. But, did it, but it didn't work, right? It didn't take off. It wasn't successful in the sense that like we're not using that and eventually we just made higher-resolution screens to work with existing language. Um, but my point is, like, that is what a hashtag is, is in that, like, rather than just getting better category search, we came up with a system of, like, tagging our categories so that the machine has an easier job of reading them. Cool. But, like, there are a lot of examples of that in the world where we flexed in the machines instead of, like, just hoping the machines catch up in time. And I think ultimately, like, it is probably better to design for human beings. I think that's the point of being, like, an empathetic and ethical designer. But it is interesting that there are people in the world who think the other way and try something, and maybe they fail. But I like seeing that in, in the design museum, and I like, I like thinking about the idea. That's why it's there. It wasn't a successful thing. It's not the really pop. It's not the monoblock chair. Yeah, ultimately, I, I wonder if it's kind of just about reaching for that, like, if that should be the goal. But if it's about doing that with humility... Because the thing that really runs me the wrong way is not people trying to do this. It's people that talk about it as if it's like their 
their God-given right to do it, right? Like, I'm a designer. I'm here to leave my dent in the universe. And it's, it's that arrogance that, I guess, really rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> I'm not talking about modernism, by the way. I'm just talking uh, about that one idea. No, like, I know. I, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tie it all together. <laughs> I wasn't talking about that one <laughs> okay. idea either. Because, like... I, I, I feel like you're about to get into a modernism thing. No, that was a, that was a funny transition, though. Like, ah, oh, well, well uh, designers are arrogant. I wasn't talking about modernism. My, my point is just that, coming back to what we said, like, should you shoot for this ideal? Uh, I think you're right, Matt. I think we should. But the key is doing it with humility and doing it in a way that we don't, we neither fetishize failure nor are terrified of it because that's just the normal state of being. Like, everything is a failure as soon as you start working on it. And it will be a failure... At some point in time, again, uh, the question is just what can you do with it when it has a little sort of spark of life in it? I don't know why I'm fucking fucking with you. I don't know why I'm fucking fucking with you. I don't know why I'm fucking fucking with you. Anyway, my happy ending is far and away my favorite piece of software, and that is a little app called Calca. Um... Calca is an app for iOS and for Mac and maybe some other things, but I don't know. It's the only things I have. That is basically a text editor. It's amongst the you know huge family of many, many text editors that are available on every single platform. Um, but Calca is so simple and so great because uh, it basically just imbues a little bit of magic into the text editing process in that you can do kind of simple programming logic and simple math within the contents of your text document without doing any kind of special uh, complex formatting or any kind of crazy settings. Um, you just put a little hash rocket in there if you want to evaluate something, and it will evaluate whatever's before the hash rocket if it can. Um, you can assign variables just by saying something equals something. Um, no special characters. You just write those things out, and it will set those things to be equal to each other. It can handle all kinds of different data. Um, and it's just really amazing and feels like the kind of magic that I want computers to be, right, where I'm just typing a thing, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, what if I just did this math, and what if I divided that by two, and blah, 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 um, and it just works. It just, like, magically works and does whatever I expect it to do. Um, they recently also released an update that allows for uh, basic graphing and plotting, um, so you can just type plot and then throw whatever information you want at it, and it will make a plot for you, um, and I think it's just a really, like, it's, it's one of these things that I, I wish I had made it, because it seems so simple and so great. Um, and I'm sure it's really technically complicated to make it work flawlessly and not have problems with it. But at the end of the day, what you're left with is this like magical little canvas that just does whatever you ask of it. Um, and I use it for everything from taking regular notes, um, which I sometimes maybe rarely use the sort of complex functionality of the app to making my entire financial projection for my mortgage for my house, which I've got an enormous calculator document with all the variables in there so I could test different things and see what made the most sense. Um, it's also just a really great way to I think introduce the power of computers to people that might otherwise feel like it was unavailable to them. Um, like the simple idea of assigning variables and using basic math and um, you know doing little things like that uh, is something that is kind of really only accessible to you if you know how to write in a programming language. And this just, in the most simple way, allows you to do these very simple tricks, which you can then combine into very, very powerful combinations, which that, that to me is always like the holy grail of a design idea, something that is simple, a simple system you can give somebody with simple rules that then they can use to make powerful, complex things. Same reason I love Minecraft is the same reason I love Calca. Um, it's a really great little app, and I love it. I think I really want to get this now. I use a little, it's like a simplified version of this, but you ever heard of Task Paper? Uh, I think I've heard of it, but I've never used it. It's just like, a, it's this really simple app that lets you basically make a list and then check things off the list but it does it in a very simple markup language, like Markdown. Mm. Like I, I've talked about how much I like textile and Markdown and like simple yeah. markup languages and that idea. Calca works with Markdown too, just FYI. If you copy in a bullet point list, turns it into a list, you can check things on and off. That's all it does, but it's super useful because I like, I like non-formatted text. I fucking hate copying formatted text and pasting it somewhere else and it carries through. Like if I could turn that off in an operating system, I would. I think it's a horrible idea. That's the thing most designers would say was, uh, was foolish. I feel like that's a lot of things. That's like the reason we probably have formatted text is because of some, some coven of designers in the history of computer uh, design and building said that we had to do that, right? That's probably why that happened. I, I mean, this is maybe a conversation for another day and when we have more time, but... I think one of the biggest flaws in operating systems is to default copying a format with command C or control C. 
I think it causes so many like inadvertent mistakes that could be so easily avoided if we just stuck to basic plain text with copying and pasting and emails and formatting and all kinds of other stuff. You do know you can get clipboard apps that will allow you to make those settings and say that every copy link should only be plain text, right? Clipboard apps are a whole thing. I know they are. I haven't really done. I just don't like, I hate like having to bend your system to your will. Then you go to another system and it doesn't work the way you're used to working on it. Like I hate, I used to like set up my own home system a certain way. And then I like go work on my work system and it was totally different and it'd fuck up my life. And then I, or I'd go work on somebody else's laptop and it's like, it's basically like using a, uh, a, a broken tool. So you want the one thing to work for everybody? I want like a just a better default for the world because I want to be able to work on a default system and feel efficient rather than having to like bend everything to my will and make it just a certain way. And But do you assume that your default is the best default for everybody? Yeah, dude. I'm a designer. What did we just say? <laughs> what did we just say about designers? <laughs> there you go. That's where we end it. Uh, yeah, you all should get Calca. It's really super good. Um, totally worth it. I don't know. I also grew up in like working on a Windows machine that I would reformat every six months. So to keep it running smoothly, if you didn't reformat those things every once in a while, they would get so slow. Oh yeah. So I would keep, I would reformat every, every six months. So it'd just be like, oh, I can't get too used to these settings or I'm going to ruin my life in six months. So I better just get used to the default for what I think maybe that's just ruined me. I think that just ruined me. been on the grid episode 95 you can email the show mail at on the tweet to us using hashtag on the grid or find us individually at madam c at andy mangold and at dan hour if you want to submit a link for us to talk about in the show visit on the if you enjoy the show please review us on itunes thanks to dkstr and broke for free for the interlude music girlfriends for the theme music and finally thank you for a great year thank you for listening happy holidays happy new year Thank you. You counted down much slower there than normal. That was yeah. strange. It was like on a it was like on a half beat. My girlfriend is walking up the stairs, so it's kind of slowly counting down until she made it. Oh, I see. So we all clapped when your girlfriend arrived at the bottom of the stairs. No, top of the stairs. She's going to go oh, to the top oh, of the stairs. Oh, top of the stairs. Because she's, she's leaving you because she can't be near you when you're making the podcast. That's illegal. She can be wherever she wants, but she'd prefer to go watch a t- show on the iPad upstairs. So you're telling me a television program is more entertaining than you sitting at a desk talking to friends on Skype? She loves her favorite show is one third of this show. That's her favorite show. <laughs> oh, man. It's so nice of her to say that about me. Gosh. Ooh, boy. Let's play a fun game called What Things Can't We Make About Design? This would be a fun game. <laughs> game over. Nothing. <laughs> I, I just feel like everything comes back to that eventually.